Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, love chatting with you every week, live at uh, 10, let's see, what is it now? It's 9.30 Eastern um, and Thursday nights, live on Facebook and YouTube. So love chatting with you there. Come join us. If not, you can always catch the replays later. So you know me. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And let's see, for the rest of our full house tonight, I'm going to introduce Robert Johnson first. How are you, Robert? I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doing really good. Uh, hope you guys are all doing well also. Robert Johnson, Space Novum Lodge 1183, uh, sitting secretary there, and a whole lot more. Thanks. Excellent. How about you, Joe? How's it going? It's going great, but first I want to see how you're doing, because I think you had a stroke on air when you did not know the date <laughs> or, the time, the date or the time or the day of the week Where am that I, we man? were coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, other than that, I'm doing great. Joe Martinez. Uh, <laughs> I got your master. Thank you. I know. <laughs> Joe Martinez, uh, Pisces, and Joe Martinez, uh, Master Manassa Lodge number one eighty two, and member of a whole bunch of other things, and uh, super duper Bible nerd. So excited yeah. about tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think Bible nerds, I also think of Jason Richards. Hello and good evening. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, we do. Joe and I aren't. Joe and I totally aren't going to talk over each other tonight, not at all. Um, <laughs> also, John, this is what happens when you go off script. I know. Just, it doesn't work. Uh, like a live show. Kids, we are can't like edit that out. Them. I yeah. I don't care. <laughs> like, who are you, Jason? Just, who am I? Uh, Jason Richards, Past Master of Vacation Lodge Number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, uh, member of the Colonial Lodge Number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and member of Lafayette Lodge Number 79 in Zanesville. All righty. It's good. Full house. So tonight, before we get into tonight's topic, I want to give a special shout out to the patrons who've been supporting the show. You guys are awesome. Thank you for keeping this Masonic education around for many, many years to come. So if you want to join in and talk nerdy Bible stuff... Head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable, where we can talk all about this week's topic, corn, wine, and oil. Looking forward to that. All right, so we, we try to mix things up. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about corn, wine, and oil. Uh, we've, we try to keep things fresh and do pull a little bit of ritual, a little bit of history, a little bit of George Washington even. So here we are tonight. Yes, even a little bit of George Washington. Next up, green beans. Stay tuned. Oh, for green beans. oh. but oh. tonight oh, a sabbatical though, coming on. <laughs> you feel like you're getting a catch of the COVID now, or just yes. in time for next week's show? I'm gonna have COVID every time we talk about green beans. <laughs> we apologize to the viewers. Joe just seemed to have an aneurysm. Yes, um, did. Yes. So anyway. Tonight, uh, we'll pull right out of the ritual. We'll discuss a little bit more about corn, wine, and oil as it's seen in our wages, as it's seen in cornerstone layering ceremonies, and possibly 
a little bit diving deep into what is the significance, the symbolism, and even uh, biblical references to those earthly materials. So to get right into it, probably the, the best place that a non-Mason will come across this combination of materials, corn, wine, and oil, is if you do any sort of YouTube searching, your first thing you'll come across is um, a little bit of... The great British, British Bake Off. <laughs> no, that would be an awful uh, combination of ingredients. They're moist. <laughs> but, uh, What's her name? What is What's her, her name? Prue? Prue, isn't it Prue or something like that? Sure. Squirrel! Squirrel! Okay. Squirrel. You, what you won't find in the British Bake Off, you will find... Stay on target! Masonic Cornerstone Laying Ceremonies. And so we're not going to go into any, all the details that come with that, but something that's very common in every jurisdiction is that the Grand Master who's doing this, or the Master of the Lodge, you know, at a subordinate lodge level, will actually take physical corn and wine and oil and dress the cornerstone that they're consecrating which is just so strange if you're if you're seeing this for the first time you're like what are these masons doing one they're dressed in the ceremonial garb that's very uh out of place for modern society and then two they're dumping food on top of some rocks like what it seems very um abstract in a modern context so let's let's start there and then kind of work in towards the symbolic reason and so um even though every jurisdiction does it a little bit differently you will hear something along the lines of as they're going through this symbolic um, setting of, of the food upon the cornerstone, it is meant to kind of bless the the infrastructure, bless the, the architecture of that building, so that those in that building will be blessed with uh, the benefits of corn, the benefits of wine, and the benefits of oil, even if it's a symbolic gesture. So let's go real surface level and dive deep. What are the sim what are the the literal and um and semi surface level interpretations of what does corn, wine and oil represent? Well, Joe. Well, before we get to that, okay. Before we get to that. Before let's, that. Let's you yes, for those non-masons in the in the room. Um the thing we have to talk you know when you first hear corn wine and oil you hear you think about food right food, um right. things we eat things we ingest and stuff like that but especially for our cornerstone layings and any other like uses of these three items we have to take out of our minds that it was primarily food right it was of course it was meant to be eaten at some point and oil has things and wine has things that it does and corn has things that it does and we'll talk about corn in detail um but it was it's not meant to represent food. It is uh, meant to symbolize wealth, you know, initially, right? So in all of these old things, which Jason will talk about. Right, absolutely. It's like it wasn't meant like like because you said scattering food. And I'm like, do these people think we're really just throwing food on top of blocks? And, you know, it has a more, yes, like rice at a wedding. <laughs> rice at um, a wedding. Kills the birds. Let's just Don't paint a little happy corn over here in the corner. Yeah, they do. They do bubbles now. You blow bubbles at weddings. You don't do rice anymore, right? Because it kills the birds. It's or bad. For, bad for the birdies. Bad for the birds. Anyway, um, squirrel. But yeah, don't think about it as food um, because we're not treating it as food, and we're not talking about it as food. So um, nowhere after this um, t 
talk that we do today, are we going to have a focaccia bread? Okay. We're talking right. about wealth and abundance and blessing, like Jason said. So right. I digress. So, but, okay. So if you look back at, we're skipping right to the biblical part, but if you had a lot of corn and wine and oil, you know, in the literal aspect of it back in that day, it was a blessing. You, it was, it was, you were showing plentifulness that you were self-sustaining. You had food to last you for a while, you know, um, dry corn stores pretty well, right? Um, wine stores well. It's not actual corn though. Don't skip ahead. I'm not talking about maize. We'll get there. <laughs> You're the one going off script. Joe's going off script. That's it. You went off script first. I am no. I'm not. I'm. I am no script. I'm scriptless. Okay, so I we're throwing do. food on rocks. That's what we're doing. Now, in okay. cornerstone ceremonies, you will hear the um, the presiding officer, whether it be the grandmaster or the master, performing this ceremony. That um, they will place corn that is re meant to represent nourishment or symbolizing health. You will see them place wine. Um, meaning refreshment, symbolizing prosperity, and then you'll finally see them put in the third order uh, oil, which is representations of joy and gladness, symbolizing peace. So this is right out of the lecture that you'll hear. Again, you can find many of those on YouTube of Cornerstone Layering Ceremonies. And wh what's fascinating is it kind of stops there, right? It's left to the, the profane, the non-Mason, to figure out Okay, that's cool and all. How did you get? How did you get peace or joy from oil? Like I don't. Every time I'm pouring some vegetable oil, I'm not like really joyful and happy. It's just it's just oil. Like I buy it at the grocery store. If you're using it for deep frying, that would bring a tear to I think just about anyone's eye. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful, little donut. Are you are you an Evo kind of guy? You like extra virgin olive oil? Oh, not for not for not, frying. Not for frying. No, no, no. Deep frying. Goodness no, no, gracious. No, no, no. no, not for deep low, frying. Low smoke point. Huh. Turn rancid. <laughs> I, I'm more of a grapeseed oil person myself for, for cooking. Interesting. So, <laughs> Robert. Olive oil is good for a nice vinaigrette salad dressing. What? <laughs> What do you really think good. about? Did you just did you just go to Harris Teeter or something before the show? Like <laughs> what did. the hell, man? It's got a whole collection of the counter there. Robert, what say you about cornerstone laying ceremonies and the representations of these earthly materials? I just made a feast for my wife because it was her birthday the other day. <clears throat> so I've got cooking <clears throat> on the brain. Well, happy It happy was really good too. To your, your lovely wife. Who is an amazing Namaste. artist? Yes. Oh, she's awesome. Isn't she? Cheers. She is. Yes, she's amazing. Cheers. I I would say uh, all right. So 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 corn, wine, and oil. In far as a, as far as a uh, cornerstone laying, been to a bunch of cornerstone laying ceremonies in the Masonic uh, fraternity. We see it. Uh, you know, throughout history, everybody's seen the goofy George Washington doing the cornerstone laying at the Capitol. All that stuff. Uh, it is interesting that that while you all talk about, you know, it doesn't represent food, but it kind of does represent food in a way that, as you alluded to, it suggests abundance and then moves on to like riches. Sometime 
I was at Lodge and I hadn't been back in like two, three months. And uh, it was over the winter, okay? So I gained a few pounds. And uh, my brother said to me, granted, he's from a different culture uh, in the Far East. And he said to me, uh, Robert, you're looking like you're doing very well for yourself. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. He's like, you put on a few pounds. And I was like, oh, well, thanks. But to him, it was a compliment, right? Because where he comes from, people like don't make that much money and are very skinny. <clears throat> I would so, take that compliment. I would take that compliment all day long and all you know night. What I'm long. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. I um, had so that happen to me in graduate school. Joe's doing the so best out of all three of us. So that's so. Funny. So this is abundance, right? <laughs> and this is the word abundance is a really powerful word, both I think in the occult sense and in new age sense, all of these things. But something that's really interesting is this is like almost uh, from time, from, from the biblical sense of sacrifice all the way back to, let's say like Cain and Abel who like gave up the thing to the Lord. Right. So uh, Abel, and Cain, you know, Cain kills Abel, one of them sac which one sacrificed like the harvest and not the meat? That was Abel. That's Cain. No, Cain uh, Cain gave the first fruits of the harvest. Cain gave the food. Yes. First fruits of the harvest, you're right. Abel gave the the lamb from his flock. That's right. So Cain, like what is interesting about this is Cain is like the murderer, but ultimately later on in uh you know traditions the animal sacrifices go away and what becomes the appropriate sacrifice are things like the grains of the harvest the incense wine table of showbread wine all of these things table and so uh, it it becomes like the uh well th and that kind of represents uh you know the bread is the grain of the corn because i think as you guys will get into later there's this whole list of things that corn could mean um, because obviously it's not the sweet corn you all have in your freezer at home. So yeah, it's a sacrifice and uh, essentially you're performing, <clears throat> you're performing a sacrifice or, in a, or like the, on the cube or the altar stone of what is going to be the edifice of the, you know, the first stone of the edifice. And you're saying, Hey, bless the edifice, bless this thing. Here's the sacrifice to the Lord or to the Grand Architect, uh, and it's a and it's a, a little touch of a callback to, uh, you know, the before time, the before the before time, because we went from sacrificing animals to sacrificing grain, and then eventually to what we now have in almost every culture around the world is incense. Right. So for me, for me, whenever I see the this particular ceremony, yeah, like it's kind of a blase. I don't want to say like it's not a cool ceremony. It is really cool, but only when you really think about what's happening. I don't know that a lot of people are thinking that deep into it. Um, right. You are making a uh, an offering to the God, mm -hmm. to the gods, you know, whatever. Right. In cornerstone ceremonies or, or lodge consecration ceremonies, have you all ever had someone use an, a, a sensor in those? I've not seen that, but Robert has. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's not it's like Virginia doesn't do it. Yeah. yeah. It's not prescribed, but I will say that uh, every once in a while you get a grand chaplain who can make it. 
And um, call me crazy, but I think that that is really a powerful thing. I would love it if Lodge chaplains had, you know, like what's their duty in Lodge? Like they should be somebody you could go to talk to about things. And, you know, of course right. they have prescribed Lodge duties, but mm-hmm. what if they took it the step further and like right. sensed the Lodge? You know, a lot of our, our TO Lodges and um, TO like Lodges do this kind of thing. But for a grand secretary, for a grand uh, chaplain, like outside of the the prayers that we give at grand sessions and like, you know, helping the brethren with a couple little things, this could be a really awesome addition to the ritual work. And we, I've only seen it done once in like the five cornerstones that I've seen done. Uh, but yeah, it is phenomenal, uh, Jason. Yeah, I've only seen one. I don't know how many of you guys have seen. I've only seen one. Um, and... It was here in the area, um, but it looks like Robert has seen many more than us. Were they all in Illinois? Yeah, yeah. We 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 reconsecrated Libertyville 492, where John just visited. We re, we did them for their 150th. We did the Lake County Courthouse building. Wow. Um, and a couple others. Uh, the Lake County Courthouse building was really interesting because we had lots of members of the public there, and it was put on by two lodges plus the Grand Lodge. So it was one of my last years at Waukegan 78 plus 1027 Anchor and Arc Lodge, and the Grand Lodge showed up. And we had lots of members from the Historical Society. We had our uh, our active 33rd degree, uh, who was a uh, Lake County Circuit judge, um, to be there to you know oversee the entire thing and have a few words. But the Grand Master ultimately is the one who did the ceremony with the chaplain and and his warden or his uh, 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 deputy, uh, deputy Grand Master. Nice. Um, yeah. Cool. So I've seen two. One is the consecration of the Patriot Lodge I was in about to say, 2011 yeah. or 2012. Yep. I was there. The other was the rededication of Acacia Lodge I was for lucky. Acacia's 140th anniversary, which you can find on our YouTube channel on the Masonic Roundtable. I thought so. So if I'm you're interested... You. If you're interested in seeing what a cornerstone or dedication ceremony looks like, it's open to the public, and you can search. Uh, you can search it on our webpage. But wait, there's more, because oh. beyond oh. a um, public ceremony, there's a private ceremony where Freemasons also become aware of the existence of corn, wine, and oil. And so you may see little trinkets like this. Let me zoom in here. So actually, Mike Hambrecht gave me this. Yeah. Like the intern. It's one of Hammies. I think you got some of those back there too, but I got, whipped it out. So you'll see in the in this uh, little case, a little nicely put together wooden case, there's three little vials, one containing corn, one containing wine, and one containing oil. And so uh, Mason's are- What's that? I was going to say, those are awesome. I, I give those out to new fellow crafts. Uh, we've been doing that for about two, three years. Those are made by a brother. I forget his name. I think his sticker's on the back of that. Um, the sticker fell off. For, but. Uh, okay. It's, he's in uh, upstate New York, I think. But he makes those by right. hand. They're super cute. Yeah. So we give them out to fellow crafts, you said, Joe, right? Because that, that yep. is an important part of the fellow craft ceremony. Um, one might say they're getting paid their wages in corn, wine, and oil. Ooh. But there's a lot more context. It's in not that. very much, though. Yeah, it's it's uh, not much it's to live like, on. Here you go. Here you go. Don't <laughs> Back spend in the it day, all in one it was, place. It was a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I uh, mean, you might as well that. just give them a penny and call it even. There you go. Oh, or at least a half a shekel. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, uh, some, while we're talking about this, somebody on uh, YouTube asked, um, was <laughs> maize used representatively in the Cornwall and oil ceremonies? All the ones I've seen or heard of, it's it's American, it's American, American maize. Corn. That's well, used. let's I've jump right to like, the interpretation of that because... Ooh. Corn, at least in the American Bible, American translated Bible, is an American invention. It is a is a product innovation. of maize. Innovation. Right? It's an innovation in, in the King James Bible. Because there was no such thing as corn in the Middle East. Right? Um, we have corn that we know today as you know, sweet corn and ears of corn that grow here in, in North America. But again, if you know your history, then that was something that, you know, we learned to cultivate when we encountered the Native Americans at the time and traded and all that fun stuff. So, so then my question is this, though, corn get in the Bible, then, Jason, that so that's that was precisely my question. King James version of the Bible, King James ruled around the 1500 to 1600, you know, century changeover. You know, earliest colony was 1607? 1607 was, was Jamestown, Virginia. Jamestown. Okay. Well, eh, but, but, I mean, there are records but, of, right. uh, there are records of Columbus bringing it back on his initial voyages. 1492. Ah, got it. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know if it had made it all the way to, uh, you know, lovely old England, but Past it was Spain. in the old world in the 16th century. Right. Okay. Or at least enough for its existence to be known and translated because in the Hebrew Bible, there are many words for grain that were just kind of lumped up and then when mistranslated into English was called corn. So um, anytime you see corn in the Old Testament specifically, yeah, they're definitely talking about something that's more properly called grain. The variety of grains that go in that. It could be barley. It could. Would be you say wheat. it's allegorical maybe and see that's the thing okay. is with a lot of the stuff in the old testament um some of it could be literal and some of it could be symbolic as well and so uh, at least according to some, uh-huh. some of it could be what king james wanted so you know what just slap some dragons in there and then we'll call it the bible yes there <laughs> yes, are dragons in the king serious. james bible yeah um but yeah it could be it could be barley it could be wheat which is probably the most common one is what is actually wheat. They've, they've called it corn, uh, lentils, beans, millet, maybe rye, but even then, um, rye wasn't really cultivated in Palestine. So these are all, and what is, all under that umbrella of corn. Well, like there was a man, I'm trying to remember this. There was a really pretty rad biblical special. I was watching a few years ago that was explaining, uh, away the curses were the plagues of Egypt. Uh, so if you look at the plagues of Egypt and the timeline, uh, they actually attributed um, the plague of the firstborns dying. They said, hey, you know, the, the, the males would always ensure that the, that the most of the food would be given to their oldest male child. Uh, this was a tradition to assist with, you know, preservation of the family and all of this and likely 
the storage methods of the grain that they had had been infected with some sort of a fungus or maybe even ricin poisoning, which uh, somehow it was, was contained within the grain. So this kind of grain is, is essentially what I would suspect would probably be this corn, you know, or, or, or nutrient, whatever it was, this grain of sort. Hmm. Interesting. Some sort of blight. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to go on a, a brief tangent here, too, because I found a really good, like, one-for-one one correlation of the Ten Plagues of you know, Egypt as uh, counter counter arguments of the the Jewish God compared to the Egyptian gods. And so that the different plagues were basically my God could beat up your God in locusts and my God be, could beat up your God in these other types of areas. And so they were all, uh, it was a urinary contest between the gods. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's known as polemics. Yes. And uh, yeah, but they, will, <laughs> they do say, I don't want to say urinary contest because polemics sounds more intelligent, but that's, you got to look at a lot of, a lot of the first five books of the old Testament, you know, or the Pentateuch, a lot of the stuff in there was written as polemics against the stuff that these people in the ancient Near East were having to deal with. Um, you know, and monotheism really is a like, weird thing, you know? Yes, it's, yeah, it's the, the, you know, paganistic polytheism, right. you know, of antiquity versus this new monotheistic creation within Judaism. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so from now on, when you hear us use corn, wine, and oil, think of it as grains. Use that category of grains or wheat specifically uh, for wheat. Oh, wine is still wine, and oil, and wine oil is, still, is still, wine. still oil. Well, is it though? Because it is. Talk, let's talk about wine. Jason, go ahead. Prove oh my wrong. goodness! Change my mind. Over to me. Um, go ahead, Jason. Go. Well, fine then. Maybe maybe I will. Or, Jason, or maybe you're doing really well oh, for yourself. I break up I, I internet I nice No, um wine wine is used throughout the Bible um and it comes from a a very similar usage tradition that we alluded to with with grains and first fruits. Um it's used very heavily in adoration and worship of the Almighty. Um <clears throat> I think uh, there there have been a number of biblical scholars who, you know, address the question of, well, did Jesus really drink wine or was it just grape juice or like, oh, but that's you know, new wine. Biblical so. scholars have said, no, it is, it is wine, it's literal wine. wine. Yes, it is literal wine. Um, and well, pull, pull that thread for a second yeah. because of people that might not know the context of that, right? Because you have the temperance movement, right? That's trying to say, well, in the New Testament, was it really a fermented drink? Because, you know, fermented drinks are kind of no-nos. They can lead to some bad things if you overindulge. And uh, obviously, we don't want to, the, the God that gives us wine, which is all over the Old Testament, right? Then you have the New Testament you know, is it, is it symbolic or is it something that, uh, you know, we should be avoiding because there's many, many Bible verses about, 
you know, drunkenness and, and like Noah. Yeah, exactly. So, so here's here's the deal. You said the N-word. in the Bible. Got no- in the Bible, the references to wine are broken down into three kind of categories: you know, positive, negative, and neutral. And there are in Scripture forty negative references to wine, uh, drunkenness, dangers of alcohol, etc. Sixty-two references are neutral. You know, people falsely accused of being drunk, vows of abstinence, etc., and 145 references to wine are used in a positive sense as a sign of God's blessing, Winner. use in worship, um, sanctification. So, did did God like wine? Absolutely. Yes. I think of God every time I crack open a. I unscrew a bottle of Prosecco. What do they say? Uh, that uh, Benjamin Franklin said that uh, wine is proof that uh, God loves us and what's God loves us. Yes. Good old Benji. Yes. So it's it's one of those things where you know obviously anything can be taken to excess, and you could see that with uh, with grain and oil as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially rye. Mm. <laughs> it, it, well, so just uh, as a kind of a cool fact, you know, about how a lot of these wines were fermented, because people always are asking, you know, how do they make uh, fermented wines and things? Um, well, in, in actuality, you've got like ancient cultures still around the world making beer in the same way, which is to chew up the grain and then spit the spit from the chew into a bowl and they let it sit. And then they later pass that around after the uh, yeast has eaten the sugar and pooped out alcohol and the carbon just escapes because it's open. But uh, then they drink the spit and they get drunk. This is this is ancient beer. But ancient wine is not made this way. You ever seen the uh, classic uh, I Love Lucy skits, right, where she's smashing the wine with her feet? And this has been really the, the way that it's been done for many, many, many millennia. And the yeast comes from uh, the skins on the grape, which were left. So it's kind of cool that... Better than the skins on Lucy's feet. Correct. Because when I first started reading about how they made wine, uh, when I was researching how to make like just apple wine in my house, um, it was interesting because I was like, I've read the, the re- I read the, the line. It was like, the yeast comes from the skin. And I was like, oh my God. And it was like on the grape. And I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, <laughs> and, and of course you remove, they would remove the, um, remove or add uh, the grape seed back to increase or decrease bitterness. Uh, so this is really interesting. Like the, the more bitter it was, the more potent it was considered to be. And in fact, when <clears throat> um, there are some scholars that say, you know, when um, the person comes to Jesus on the cross to give him the sponge was soaked in a bitter wine or a vinegar like mm-hmm. wine. Right. Uh, so really kind of interesting which symbology was, there. Which was also used as a numbing agent, right, before yep. anesthesia. So, hey, uh, we're going to have to pull your tooth. You better drink a little bit of wine before the uh, procedure because it's going to hurt. And that was one way. And that's well, and they, why they offered it to Jesus on the cross. They do that for brisses as well. They they get, you know, Manischewitz very, like, you know, 
hearty fortified sweet wine and they will essentially put a drop of it on on the infant's tongue so they're they're preoccupied with that um while they go and nip the tip i'm just thinking of drinking the uh uh, the the ladies love it. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Robin Hood. May we nice. partake in your sacramental wine. Hey, there's trees. There's rocks. Let's bless it all. <laughs> Let's bless it all. Oh, I, I forgot. I, I already got one. <laughs> Question. <laughs> so wine is a symbol uh, of the um, a symbol of refreshment and prosperity and something, again, that you see uh, as a a positive sign of God's blessing in in the Old Testament, and then you see the metaphor carry through in the New Testament, right? Of uh, you know, like Jesus turning the water into wine and putting it in, you know, putting it into the different lamb skins, and it's you know, it, it becomes a, a a powerful symbol moving forward, which then leads to our third symbol of oil. Okay, so we have grains, we have wine. And then we have oil. So what does oil have to do with um, joy and gladness or peace, Joe? Well, if you've ever right. seen <laughs> old school, no, go ahead, Jason. you know that, you know, oil wrestling is... No, I'm kidding. Jason, you're doing really well for yourself. You pull that thread there, bud. <laughs> I think the thread oh. broke. We're good. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, Timmy, oil, uh, Timmy, you ever <laughs> seen two men wrestle naked? Do you like Man, gladiators? Yeah. Aren't you Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? No. <laughs> you tell your dad I run my ass up, up and down that court every single night. All right, Joe. He said a bad word. No, my brain is fried right now. You said a bad word. Don't call me, Shirley. Ooh. Joe, what's my boy oil? Blue. Yeah, oil is is stuff. Um, so, um, and as far back as as we can go, time immemorial, um, all our references to oil really talk about olive oil. There, there were other there. You know, they didn't have avocado oil and grapeseed oil like Jason has in his in his cubby in the kitchen. Just right um, below the it was desk. olive oil. Yeah, just below the desk. Um, sunflower oil, none of that. They had olive oil. Uh, that was your go-to, your go-to fruit in the ancient Near East. And, uh, they did lots of things with it. Um, and I mean, the two big ones is they cooked with it and they lit their lamps with it. Um, so there were two different kinds of ways of making olive oil back then. You had the, uh, the way that I think, um, my wife told me when she went to see the museum of the Bible, they have, a um, an, an oil, uh, olive oil uh, stone there you know where they oh, where they pressed the, yeah press it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then um the other way to do it is to beat the olives um and get a lighter form of the oil that gets extracted so there's two different kinds of olive oil oh, right um one is for cooking one is for lighting our lamps um or their lamps because i use electricity but um yeah but the primary uh symbol that we get from it is joy and gladness right and where else can you be joy and glad is during a time of peace um as opposed to a time of war which uh you know for going back to the biblical references there's a lot of fighting going on there was uh you know never never do you turn a page where somebody isn't slapping the crap out of somebody else 
you know, and people are dying. And, uh, you know, so having, having oil there as a symbol for peace, um, and giving it as a gift of, of peace does represent joy and gladness. Boom. And, but wait, there's more because, uh, we do a lot of anointing in the old Testament with oil as well. I right? do. So, so we anoint we, high we priests. We do lots of it. We lots. Anoint high priests, some Kings, very, very symbolic. And, uh, and prophets too. So, and prophets. That's right. Yes. Prophets. All three were anointed with oil. The, ultimately, it comes back to the wealth piece of, you know, you are showing God's blessing on someone by using what is a very scarce, expensive resource mm -hmm. um, on their head. Well, let's, I mean, that's, uh, you kind of hit, you kind of touched on it a wee little bit, but um, the big thing with anointing, which I think we'll get into um Wow, it's already after 10 o'clock, so maybe we'll get into it now, where uh, when we talk about anointing, um, as, as Jason was alluding to, um, it wasn't just regular, you know, I'm cooking some lamb olive oil. It was special oil. Um, prepared for those of oil. you that grew up in prepared oil and Perfumed. recipe for it. Perfumed, um, also known as myrrh. Um, that was another name for it. Um, there are quasi recipes for it. People try to duplicate the recipes that are in the Bible and, and with mixed results. But, um, you know, this, this process of anointing has been carried forward, um, all throughout, you know, going from Judaism all the way into a lot of the other faith systems. I mean, you have, if, if you were Roman Catholic, like I was back in the day, um, you got hit with chrism, uh, which was special anointing oil. Um, the Jews, you still use special anointing oil. Um, they're high priests, like you said, um, that goes back to Deuteronomy where, uh, Aaron was, you know, Aaron and his two sons were, were anointed with oil, special, lovely smelling oils. And then we had the Kings. Um, so all the Kings were anointed with oil as well. Even the, the bad ones, the bad and the good ones. Um, and then you had prophets, you know, certain prophets were anointed with oil to mark the beginning of their, their ministry with Yahweh. So, and then we get to was New Samuel. Testament. I can't I remember if Samuel if was or not. I know I he know anointed Saul and David with oil. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of people think that Saul was not anointed, but he totally was. So he, he got the he got the love oil juice on him. So it was kind of weird that his, his kingship was stolen, you know, but, um, if you guys are ever, he was kind of a dick. In, <laughs> if y'all are ever interested in, in some of, you know, what that actual oil could have been, <clears throat> they talk about, uh, the anointing of Jesus and they, in, in, in some translations, they actually talk about, uh, pure. Okay. So I'm going to say this, but um, I, there's just no way around it. Y'all are going to laugh. Pure, uh, what they call nard oil. <laughs> oh. Uh, <clears throat> so, so it comes from spike nard, which is a, is a, is a flowering plant um, that grows in the Himalayas, uh, China, and India, and somewhere in, in, the, in the Middle East. And they actually would, uh, they call it nard, nardin, or musk root. Um, it's an essential that, oil and, uh, the, you can, yeah, you can buy it from, uh, you know, one of those, uh, pyramid scheme, uh, oil companies. Um, you can actually buy like 280 Avon. milliliters. No, uh, uh yeah. 280 milliliters <laughs> runs you about 23 bucks. 
Let's get it. One hundred percent pure Jerusalem nard oil. Twenty three bucks. <laughs> Let me uh, for two hundred Let me stop you there for one second because I know my house smells lovely. Yeah. Uh, thanks to my wife Barbara. Barbara likes oils. Barbara, do not buy nard. Thanks oil. to Athena. Okay. Write that uh, down. That's a Write that down. Your house smells oil. lovely. Thanks to Athena. Not that right. damn spike 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 nard. Spike nard. If you'd like to donate to the send nard oil to Joe's house fund. <laughs> Contact TMR at the Masonic Roundtable at gmail.com. Contact Green Beans. At I'll be TMR. working on making the nard oil right here. Please don't. <laughs> I'm still stuck on how painful spike nard sounds. Doesn't it? <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, oil. So, oil. And, you know, oils. it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down through the skirts of his garments. The well, oil we, we or just, the beard? No, both. Well, both. Maybe yeah. And you obviously haven't been following the YouTube chat because we totally. Sorry, I've got a shirt riff on here, that. Jason, I'm sorry. I, yeah, we talked about that. All like I hear are excuses. <laughs> Do better, Jonathan. Do better. You're doing really well for yourself, Jason. But to uh, to uh, Robert's point, um, all the cool kids were anointed. Um, we have examples in the Old Testament. Jesus was anointed. Um, even Muhammad was anointed in oil mm-hmm. um, so. for our, our Islamic brothers. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a common a theme. Thing. Yeah. Yep. And if you're a Mason and you're a Yorkrite Mason, you get to see something cool like that. We won't spoil it for you uh, in the Yorkrite system. So, enjoy. Yeah. So what's it all about then? That's the where we get to the the final part of this episode. Wait, wait. I don't know. I want to I want to take this one question somebody asked. I think this is a good for a go round real quick before we continue. Yeah, yeah. Dylan Callahan he said, serious question: oil used in parables, so allegories or stories, such as the virgins with no oil in their lamps representative of spiritual zeal slash other question mark. So what do you all think that in parables, it would mean, you know, a virgin with no oil in their lamps? What, what is that referring to? It's a good question because I'm thinking about it is. on a I'm, certain I'm thinking psychological about the- level. I'm thinking about the, the like story no itself. You know what? what so, Dylan, maybe so, that's see, a topic for a show. I, I got, an, I got so, an answer. Quick answer. All right, and Jason then I'll first. go. No, Jason first. Me first. Jason second. Okay. Yes. So I keep going back to First Kings, um, where there's the story about Elijah and the widow who talks about, you know, I only have, you know, a small handful of flour and a little jar of oil. I'm going to make lunch for my son and I, and then we're going to die because there's just, there's nothing left. Um, And so thinking about it from that perspective, a virgin is in biblical times, someone who has not taken a husband. So someone who does not have someone to care for them as was the the norm in in jewish society um and no oil in their lamps to me that that sounds like you know an allegory depicting destitution and 
you know, need for reliance on God or need for salvation. Cool. Like um, yeah. So, my, my quick you got to tell me what it really is. No. Uh, well, I mean, it's not, um, you know, that parable is very specific to a certain denomination. Um, so um, trying to be careful with how I answer this, but uh, if you talk about the 10 virgins, um, that was meant to represent people in the church and you had the oil lamps, um, you know, you had the, you know, basically start off with, Hey, you know, if you're, um, good in your faith and you love your husband, you're going to have an oil lamp that is filled with oil. Um, so the oil is meant to represent your faith, um, spiritual vigilance. Right. And that's why at the, towards the end of it, you know, the, the poor virgins, the ones without oil, are asking for it from the ones that have oil. And they're like, no, you're not getting any of my oil because um, they're keeping it for themselves. So that's their own personal faith or the amount of their faith in abundance, maybe, if we can keep using that metaphor. Mm. Um, but again, that's very that's a very specific parable uh, that's not found in the synoptic gospels. Mm. So what does it all mean? That's the real question, right? So why do we... I don't know. Why do we talk about corn, wine, and oil as the wages of a fellow craft as, as a way to consecrate and dedicate a new building or a cornerstone. Why is it, why is it uh, so important to have these elements together? To me, the duality between payment and wealth for a job well done, but also the blessing of God. And so you, you see these wages together you know, throughout the Bible, they are all seen as, you know, used in worship of God, used in blessing and, and, you know, to denote God's blessing. And so stonemasons who, you know, were inherently, you know, very, were Catholic, you know, charged to build stone cathedrals, um, with the Roman Catholic Church, you know, your work as a stonemason could be seen as an act of worship. So why not get paid with things that denoted God's blessing upon you, but also had that second connotation of wealth? I like it. That makes sense, right? Because they're all <clears throat> part of God's blessing. So yeah, that, I like that one a lot. Um, another another way I thought about this <clears throat> was <clears throat> one way I also saw this was um, well again we talk a lot about um, grape wine that there could also be a way to make barley wine, right? It, wine from a grain, grain and sugar, which is basically you know another version of a beer, more more like that. So if you have grains and then you've turned that grain, you've transmuted it into wine, barley wine, and then you have oil, like it, it to me, it almost sounds almost alchemical on its surface of, of a transformation, you know, a three-step process where you go from a common element, grain, that you can find and plant just about anywhere. You could change it somehow into, because even even wine has to be transformed from a fruit from from grapes 
So it's something that has to undergo a chemical process, a chemical change. And then you end up with this anointing oil, this holy oil, this blessing oil, something that um, was really, again, depending on your interpretation of, of Exodus, it was really reserved. This anointing oil was, was only reserved for those who had met the qualifications of a high priest and had gone through all the, the work and were, were kind of initiated into that, mm. that final stage. And so um, corn, wine, and oil on its surface could literally you know mean mean all of the the pieces of god's blessing but yet these are all natural elements that have to undergo some sort of transformation in order to be blessed and so i think that's um that's and it's not just my thought because i was doing some some digging around and i came across an article in the august 2011 episode of the living stones magazine with Robert mm-hmm. Robert Hurd pu- pulling that together, where actually Tim Hogan himself had talked about the alchemical process as compared to corn, wine, and oil. I mean, he 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 references some things where he says like um, um, alcohol or the symbolic mercury was represented in alchemical text and diagrams by grapes or wine. The symbolic sulfur, on the other hand, was always referred to as the oils in alchemy it was depicted as oils and the salts were always depicted by wheat or corn and the reason is when you break down you know the 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 output of the chemical process you get a base you get uh, a white powder and so it looks like flour it looks like crushed up grains so uh whether or not that's you know that's true or literal there's some there's some neat correlations there that come with that so um, you know, is it is it code for an alchemical process? I don't know, but uh, there's a there's a compelling argument to be had about that as well. So whether you go full Tim Hogan, you kind of go halfway halfway with the John Ruark theory, <laughs> or it's just, or they're all just food. earthly elements that represent, yeah, um, food, God's blessings. Through, through you never food. go full Hogan. You never go full Hogan. <laughs> wow. So my thoughts are, so first let me correct myself. Um, so uh, the question about the parable of 10 virgins that is in Matthew, it's in a couple of other places as well. Um, but, but to answer your question, I, I kind of like where we went with the conversation about, I find it really interesting what Jason brought up at the beginning where we were talking about Cain and Abel and how Cain's harvest sacrifice wasn't, wasn't the one that God wanted, right? So, you know, what, what he really, what he wanted was the, the blood sacrifice, right? That, that newborn lamb um, or that first lamb uh, of the spring, which I found really interesting because to your point, we do, we do go from blood sacrifice uh, early on. And then we do end up as, as John was talking about, you know, after they've built the temple and after they have the, the ark in there, there's numerous times in the old Testament where you see them offering corn, wine, and oil, corn, wine, and oil, um, as a symbolic offering to, to, to God, to Yahweh at that time. So, um, you know, it's, it's importance increases as time goes on, you know, and I think to, to Jason's point, I think it was a shift, um, probably away from some of the things that they were seeing in other parts of the near East, maybe, um, you know, it's like, Ooh, that's kind of gnarly. Let's, let's, move away from that because that's not what 
God really wants. It's not gnarly. It's nard. Nard oil. Nard. Nard Nardly. oil. Nardly. Nardly. The old nard. Nardly. Dog. Nardly. Nardly. Peeps. Ah. <laughs> All right. Rob, I'm going to end it with Robert for his final interpretation of what does it all mean? Because we've, we've been chatting it up about the biblical interpretation. Whoa, yeah, stealth final question. It's not, it's a not so stealth final question. Freemasonry, it's, we all know that Freemasonry is influenced heavily by the most, uh, you know, widely spread at the time religion in the countries and where Freemasonry became a speculative uh, art, let's say. And so at this time, they, they take the influences from things like, uh, you know, ideas in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and taking the symbolic meanings from those stories, these allegories, these guys are, who are writing the rituals aren't idiots, you know, when, when Preston writes this stuff down and, and even, I mean, for God's sake, if you read, uh, you know, Pike's liturgy on the blue degrees, holy cow, this is like it. I don't even, you don't even want to know what's in here. It's crazy. I mean, this, sim, the symbology that is, is contained within this stuff is not by accident. I think that uh, even if you don't agree with the Judeo-Christian narrative,
Wow. 